Good morning and welcome to Thursday morning, July the 2nd in 2020 on When I Rise. Happy belated birthday to Mark, my father-in-law. I cannot believe I missed your birthday yesterday, but happy belated birthday nonetheless. We're in year A in proper week nine, which is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. And we are going to take a look at the New Testament text for the week, which is back in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. This is the doo-doo passage, and it'll become clear why that is uh, when I read it. So I'll read that passage, provide a couple points of reflection, then spend some time praying along its theme. So thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and be got together in a time of prayer. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God for us. Try to think of the last time somebody convinced you to change your mind. And I'm not just talking about like a minor change of mind, like uh, maybe a direction to get to a place. You went one way and this person decided like this, you found like this person's way was better, but like something that fundamentally changed who you were. Like you, for your whole life, you had this one view and your eyes were open and you had to change your mind. Uh, Perhaps for some of us, we're thinking about, um, you know, this topic of race in our culture and forever because of our experience and because of the way history was taught us, like we thought it was this way, but then we saw some evidence that completely transformed our thinking on the matter. And now we're starting over, we feel, and we have to unlearn things and learn some new things. This is what Paul's trying to do. I mean, Paul is a Jew. He's proud of his Jewish heritage. But he recognizes that there is a huge barrier for Jewish Christians. They can't dwell together with Gentiles because they believe that they are the chosen people of God, the seed of Abraham. They've been given the law. They've been given the covenants. They've been given the patriarchs. They've been given this grand old story, and God's been with them. And therefore, they just cannot fit in their brains how being a Gentile without them converting to I don't know, some sort of Judaism ethnically that they could actually become Christians. And so Paul is trying to win them over. And he does something creative here in Romans chapter 7. Uh, New Testament scholars have often wondered, who is Paul referring to when he says I? Um, when he, I mean, again and again, first person singular, he's talking, seems like from his own experience. 
Um, but I guess it's the more informed those who are authorities on this matter. They say that Paul's not just referring to himself, but he's trying to speak for those whom he's trying to change their mind. Um, he wants them to know that it, they should be proud of the law. Paul is proud of the law. But Paul is reflecting on his own experience. He's saying, listen, I know the things that I should be doing and I don't do them. And the things that the law prohibits me to do, I have a craving for those things. There are two laws that work, work within me, and one is wrecking me, and one is inspiring me. And inevitably, as this was being read to a crowd of people, the Jews in the audience who had their guards up, the walls up to receive friendship uh, against or with the Gentiles, I, I can imagine that as Paul is describing his experience, that they had to agree with him because they probably had a similar experience. One of the elements of persuasion as many of those who this is like their job as people who are in marketing or people who are in politics or people who are uh, creating policies. Um, they, th- they say that whenever you're trying to convince somebody of a new way, that you also have to give them a way out. It's not enough to just tear down their argument, to expose the fallacies of their argument, uh, to see how their argument maybe isn't sub, uh, substantiated by facts or by reason or by tradition or by history. It's, you can't just tear down. You also have to build up. And in a way, that's what Paul is doing here. He's providing a way out. He's saying, I've been where you've been. The struggle is real. And there is a way out. He says in the very last line, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a rescue from this body given over to death. There is a way out of our wretchedness. And we can find it in the Messiah and in Jesus, who is the Lord of both the Jews and the Gentiles. I think the reason that this is important is because there might be some of us, we're trying to convince people in our life uh, to change their thinking on something, you know, fundamentally, something big. We think, man, we would have more peace around our household or peace in the workplace or peace in other webs of relationship if, if this person wouldn't so hold so unswervingly towards this idea and um, we, we sense like there's like division there's like an impasse and we maybe we could take a, a, this, a, some, a playbook a play from the playbook of the Apostle Paul he says he, he actually exposes his own weakness he finds a common ground and he resonates with their experience because it's his experience but he also provides a way out so what I want to do is I want to pray for the, the conflicts that we have because we all have them. We're old enough, if we're old enough or enough people, we're going to have conflict. And there's several ways to try to get at conflict. Uh, some of us are prone to get wild and dramatic and uh, raise our voices and tempers and maybe try to win people over through submission. Others of us, we do it passive aggressively. Others of us, we try to avoid that there's conflict and we just assume it's going to go away. Guilty as charged. Uh, perhaps, though, what we need to do is have more of a, a Christ-centered approach to conflict, which is to, to reason with one another, um, to share our own struggle, and to use that as a way to have common ground and then to provide a way out so that these folks can get to a place of freedom. So I'm going to pray for us that God would soften our hearts and make us peacemakers in all of the struggle and conflict that we have in our life today. Let's spend some time praying this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you today 
that we have peace with you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus shows us the way of trying to amend conflict. He took upon our nature, he took upon our frame, he was exposed to our weaknesses, yet was found to be without sin, and he provided a way out. God, we find ourselves in webs of relationship where there's probably affinity, where there's probably unity, and then we find ourselves with people in our life because they're family, because they're coworkers, because uh, we're in other you know, committed relationships uh, with them. And it's just unavoidable that we, we would like to part ways with them, but we can't. Like we, we have conflict and we have a person that, we, that we're always going to be in relationship with. So God, there's many ways to approach it. We understand we sometimes succeed and fail at addressing the conflict in our lives. So God, I pray that you would teach us the way of Jesus, the way that we see in our brother Paul in this passage. That we'd be honest about our own shortcomings, that we would be lowly in the way that we approach others in the midst of conflict that we would own what we should own, um, as Paul seems to be doing here, and that we would also provide a way out, and that we'd have confidence in Christ that no matter how that conflict resolution goes, whether it's successful or whether it crashes and burns, that we um, are one in Christ, that we have a unity with you, and that you continue to teach us, and that grace covers sins and love covers a multitude of sins. So God, I pray that you'd breathe upon the church, that we would have a knack at peacemaking, that we'd find peace in our own lives, and if it be your will, that we might be able to stand between two warring friends or people who are at odds with one another or groups of people that can't see eye to eye, and that you give us the grace uh, to be a bridge builder between them as well and help broker peace so that the world might know that we cling to a gospel of peace because we worship the God of peace. So God be with us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.